Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction Welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. Today I brought in Jesse and Chauncey as fellow guest hosts, and we are going to discuss what it means to be without faith or to be without God and how people that don't believe in God, how they handle things like hope and comfort and so on. Things that the religious often attribute to their belief or faith in God. Now, this was all sparked, in me at least, from an interview that I saw a long time ago on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Jon Stewart was questioned by the late, great Christopher Hitchens about his faith. And Jon said probably the most dishonest thing I've ever heard him say. And this was actually the first time I remember losing respect for Jon Stewart. I do respect Jon Stewart. It's not like he's completely diminished in my mind. And I loved his show, and I still do love his show. I still sometimes watch it just because of the things he covered and the jokes that he made and how funny they were. Jon Stewart essentially said, why would you ever try to get rid of something that gives hope and comfort to so many people? And I think that is just fundamentally dishonest. It's a sad place to find hope in the pages of, in Jon's case, probably Probably the Old Testament and and uh, the other Jewish texts that he that he believes in. It's even sadder for a Christian who, in finding the New Testament, there is no relief for one's anxiety. There, we're told in the New Testament that instead of being forgiven by an all-powerful God or being redeemed through God Himself just through the grace of God, that instead somebody innocent must be tortured and murdered so that vicariously our sins can be cleansed. Not only is that a horrible idea, completely immoral, I mean, imagine torturing and killing somebody so that you can go to heaven or that you don't go to jail, say. Place it on earth, place it in real time, place it with real people. Imagine you having to sacrifice a dog, for instance, so that you didn't have to pay a parking ticket, (laughs) right? Or imagine having to sacrifice a human being so that you wouldn't have to go to jail for, let's say, rape or some other such crime. It's certainly an immoral proposition at its face. And to think that this was cosmically, or maybe if you don't like that word, uh, celestially thrusted upon us as the solution, and we have no choice in it, because uh, if you're unaware, if God does exist, which it doesn't appear that God does, God is much more powerful than we are. And we have nothing to say or do in relation to God. If God wants to do whatever God wants, we're completely powerless. And so when a tyrant, celestial as he is, decides to torture and murder his own child, who he put down on earth to get to know us, according to some Christians, we have nothing to say about it. The real travesty here is that this is supposed to be moral. Murdering your own child is supposed to be moral. Supposed to in the sense that we're told it has to be because God did it. Truly a disconnect of morality. What Christians and Jews don't understand about morality is that it's not something that can be dictated to you by another. And it certainly isn't something that can be dictated to whom to humanity by something that isn't a human. In other words, morality by fiat is invalid. It's void. So here we are, John Stewart, a you know self-proclaimed uh, Jew and a real freedom fighter in a lot of ways. He wants the United States to be a population of people that are treated equal under the law. And yet, what does his book say? And what's comforting about the Old Testament? It's a series of lineages. One is each one worse than the last as far as the things that they do, the people that they murder, the atrocities that they commit, all in the name of the Jewish God Yahweh, all under divine right, and all flying in the face of what we know to be a humanist morality. These absurd stories are all but proven to be false. While it's not required that they be proven false, by the way, um, if you don't understand the burden of proof, then that is for a different podcast. But, for instance, the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt has no evidence to support its truthfulness. If that is what you think happened, you have to get all the evidence together to support that claim. And archaeologists and paleontologists and biblical historians have not been able to produce one shred of evidence that the Jews were ever enslaved in Egypt, that they were ever freed from Egypt, that they ever walked for 40 days and 40 nights or whatever it was, that they ever walked 
walked through the desert and landed in Israel. Not one shred of evidence. So essentially what John Stewart was saying was, it comforts me to think that there is something on high that's watching out for me, that I'm completely powerless against, and at any moment can take control of my life and change it for the better or for the worse. Job demonstrates this in the Bible. If the Bible is supposed to be a, a link to God and God's nature, and John Stewart believes that this is God's nature, then surely the book of Job and the story of him and his family and how God, while engaged in a bet with the devil, decided essentially to murder everybody Job knew take everything away from him, including all of his riches, all of his wealth, everything he'd worked so hard to accumulate, just because. Now, a Jew might say, well, he gave it all back, plus, but is that really the point? Is it really okay to rip somebody's life apart only to and make them suffer only to give it back a little while later and say, oh, I was just kidding? What kind of a bully does something like that? And not to mention that Job's original family, the one that the ones that God murdered weren't given back to him, new people were, I guess, created for him. So a new wife, new sons, new daughters. It doesn't say they were the same. And even if it was, what a horrible person that would murder somebody's family just to see what would happen, just to see if maybe that person would still worship them after murdering all of your family and then being like, haha, just kidding. Where's the comfort in that? Truly a detestable and distorted view of the word comfort. So in this episode, some real critical thinkers, some folks that have sloughed off the bondage of religion, which I believe is the first thing one must emancipate oneself from in order to be considered a free thinker or even to be a free person. There is no benefit to believing in a celestial dictator. There is no benefit to worshiping the monster in the sky. And to find comfort in this monster who can bequeath riches beyond your wildest dreams into your life or rip away everything you've ever loved on a whim without any say from you and you have no control over either proposition, to find comfort Comfort in that is truly a perversion of the word comfort for one, and then the relationship that it implies. If anybody has any kind of relationship with God, it's clearly very dysfunctional. And the kind of relationship that, for instance, battered women have with their husbands, it's a sick and disgusting relationship, one that should be shunned. And so today, we're going to provide an alternative to this way of thinking. And we're not brilliant scientists, we're not as eloquent as John Stewart. We're certainly not in the public eye and we certainly don't have the following. But three fellas that don't believe in God are going to sit down and describe what it's like to have those feelings. What brings us comfort? What brings us joy? What do we do with our quote-unquote faith, if we have any at all? And so, let's listen in. See if we can't come up with something a little more intellectually honest than John Stewart's pathetic answer. Uh, I'm Paul Schilling here with, uh, and I'll let them introduce themselves, the wonderful the great, the ginger. My name is Jesse, the one and only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you forget my name? Is that why you're no, having no, to No, no, I like people ourselves? to introduce themselves. Otherwise, I say the name wrong or I do something wrong with a, you know, pronunciation or or I forget like the last name or something like that. I don't like right. to, you know, but besides, you know how you want to be introduced, right? All right. I'm Chauncey. Hi, Chauncey. That's all. Hi, Chauncey. Hey, just, just Chauncey? Hey, Chauncey. Chauncey. Yeah. Chauncey. Chauncey, that's all. I'm that's just nice. Chauncey. That's nice. I like that. Sounds sweet. So, Chauncey, Jesse, Paul, we're here. Happy. Easter. We're not queer, but we're here and we're happy. Chauncey looks like he's, he's questioning that. Chauncey. I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought maybe you were questioning the queer part. Oh, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I guess I can reconsider. But yeah. Not this week anyway. Yeah. yeah. So we want to talk today a little bit about atheism and how atheists, especially us three, I don't know that we're going to be speaking for atheists in general because there are a lot of different kinds of atheists. But so when you're a non-believer, what do you think of words like faith and hope? Um, and love and comfort. These are all words that believers generally use and they attribute them largely to a higher power or a deity. Um, you might hear somebody say, God is love. Or you might say, I feel an overwhelming sense of oneness with the world and that's God. But how do, how do atheists handle these feelings? Where do they sort of fall 
in the mix. And do these feelings get replaced by other feelings? Or do some of them just disappear altogether? Do you just not even think about a word like faith anymore after you don't believe? Um, so we're going to kind of go around Robin here and around the table and see what each of us think about these words and, and how they apply to our lives. The main goal here, I would say, is for any of you religious folks out there that are worried or, or scared or uncomfortable with losing your faith and, and wondering, well, what happens to hope then? Don't you have hope? If you do, Is it possible to have hope after you, you don't believe in God anymore? I'm hoping that we can answer, <laughs> I'm hoping that we can answer some of those questions. So yeah, so I put together a, a small outline here, short outline, something that we can kind of go around and around and see. And if we don't have an answer, then we don't have an answer and that's fine. And if we do have an answer, then great. And then I think, are we going to do some interviews later? We're going to try. Okay. Just wanted to set that up if it's there. We can always cut that out if it's not. So let's start with faith because uh, faith, I think, is a word that is typically synonymous with religion. However, it does have multiple meanings. So if we look up what the word faith means, people use it in a variety of different ways. So uh, allegiance to duty or a person, such as loyalty, um, fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions, like someone acted in good faith, belief and trust in and loyalty to God, belief in the traditional doctrine of religion, and so on. This is my definition of faith, a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. It seems to me that almost all faiths sort of orbit that particular definition, but not necessarily. So, it definitely not for all people. However, if I was going to define faith, that's how I would define it. Uh, So without religion or God to have faith in, where do we get our faith? Or do we have faith? I don't know, Jesse, do you have any faith? Do you have faith in anything? Or or how do you define faith? Faith is believing in something for which you don't have evidence. I guess you could have evidence too. I think it's just how I would define it as how certain you are that something exists or is real. So I have faith in things that I've observed a lot of times, such as the sun coming up in the morning or appearing to in the sky. But that's a pretty easy one. I have faith that people I meet are generally good. I I'm pretty. I tend to be. That's a good one. I like that one. I tend to I tend to assume that people are good and wait for them to to screw up before I judge them negatively. Sure. So in good faith, right? It's kind of a it's almost a business term. Yeah, you act in good faith. Yeah, you can do that on a like a moral level or just a, a, a social level. Mm-hmm. Uh, assume that they're going to operate in good faith, mm-hmm. and that would be for which you don't have a reason, right? You don't have you don't know this person. You yeah. don't know if they're a good person. So yeah, you're acting in faith. You got it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be an open book. I'm not going to invite them into my home to sleep on the couch overnight if I don't know them because sure. I know there's a very good chance that sooner or later I'm going to encounter a scumbag. But in general, most of the people you meet are all right, and they're not going to rip you off uh, instantly. Or now, as far as I think that, as far as I think the general question of uh, kind of what you're going for, like I don't have a faith in a higher power or in miracles or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So when you say faith in that sense, you're saying you don't believe a higher power without proof. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any. I don't believe in it at all. As opposed to like what, what I would say, like when you were talking about faith earlier, like you assume that people are good until they're bad. You have lots of examples, though, where you met strangers that were really nice to you and became good friends. So, it's yeah. a different kind of faith. Like, you you, you do have faith that they're going to be good people, It's like, but you have a lot of examples of strangers becoming good people. It's like probability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, 65% of people are decent and 35% are scumbags. Sure. Uh, so, on average, a, a person you meet is going to be a good person. Right. But, you know, it's like roulette. Sooner or later, you're going to get a bad one. Mm-hmm. You're going to roll the dice and get snake eyes uh, on the person you meet. So hopefully you've had the defenses and that's, you know, you, you don't just welcome people into your life wholeheartedly because you can get hurt too easily that way. So yeah, faith is, I'd say just, it's relying on something without necessarily a good reason mm-hmm. uh, because you believe it to be so and you can believe it because you believe in miracles or you can believe it because the preponderance of the examples you've seen from the past to prove something generally works out this way. So you're going to assume that that's going to still be the case and operate on that basis. Sure. That's good. I like that. What about you, Chauncey? Do you have faith in anything or do you have a different way that you utilize faith, different definition that you have in your life? It's not a term that I use very often. I think where I hear it from others is uh, faith that things will work out in a certain way or according to a certain plan 
or faith in the control that a higher power has over circumstances and outcomes and the right thing sort of happening in the long term. I don't really, in those contexts, use it um, or, or mm-hmm. have have that sort of faith. I use so faith. you don't think things will get better in the future, necessarily? I would say not necessarily, but I think things do tend to get better. Mm-hmm. I would say that I have some some confidence and some maybe hope. That may be another term that we consider. Yeah, but, it is the next term actually. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that uh, that things will get better given certain circumstances and uh, given that we work toward them. Okay. But it's not universal. It's not overarching and you know like spiritual. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And I I think you touched on one of the questions I was I was going to ask is do we have a belief that the future will get better or do we have any faith that the future will get better? Um, and if so, why? I don't know that we have to go into that because we have four other uh, topics that we want to discuss. But the idea that... I like I like the way you framed it, Jesse, is that you have faith in people, but that's based on prior evidence, not of that person, but of other people. So I like that one. I like that one a lot because it incorporates an, a, a, an aspect of faith where you have no idea what, that this individual is going to be a good person, but you sort of act as if they're going to be until they show you otherwise based on the other people that you've met in your life. So it's not blind faith, but it is some sense of faith. Yeah, I think that having that stance is the one that gives me the best chance to have a good interaction with a person and hopefully become friends with them or have some kind of positive connection or at least a positive inter- interaction, even if it doesn't go beyond that meeting. But also to protect myself from people who might be who might have genuine bad intentions. Sure, sure. And I think to answer our question on the topic or on on the sort of the theme of the podcast is it sounds like atheists do have some form of faith or some belief in faith or use for faith, but it's not necessarily blind faith. It's sure, not the, like you believe in something for no reason. The act, uh, the aspect of the human mind that's capable of experiencing faith or whatever 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 mental processes are going on under the hood for instance like chauncey i look at your face and i can instantly identify you but i don't i'm not remembering i don't go through a process of like bald head facial tattoos handsome yeah Yeah. Um, i don't i don't devastatingly gorgeous i don't i don't go through the checklist i just instantly know you yeah and human the human all humans whether you are part of a faith tradition and whether you subscribe to a belief in god whether you know that there's a God or, or however a religious person might express it. Even if you don't have that, your human mind still works the same way. So you're going to believe things. You can't walk around perpetually in doubt about existence. I think that would be a kind of a debilitating if you just question everything, question this table, question the wall, question if you're yeah. alive constantly. How could you ever get anything done? That's solipsism. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a mental shortcut. You would just believe things. Like, I believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. It's, I'm not going to spend any more time thinking about it than that because I got stuff to do. So moving on then to hope. This is a word that I feel like uh, the faithful often uh, feel they're very worried about hope. How, how is there any hope without God? Or just like, how do you have... They kind of use, I feel like they sort of use this interchangeably with the word faith sometimes to mean the same thing. Uh, for instance, like Chauncey had mentioned, the faith in the that the future is going to get better, hope that the future is going to get better. But I think there is a nuance here, and I think that there's a, a difference slightly in meaning. But do people lose hope when they don't believe in God? I would, I would say for me, it was kind of the opposite. I'll tell you a little story about myself. When I was 10, I lived with my grandparents and they inducted me into Assemblies of God, which is a very fundamental, charismatic Christian faith. And they do speaking in tongues and, you know, speaking in the holy language. And then another person in the spirit will enter them and they'll translate it for everybody and like grown men weeping and, and all that kind of stuff. And it freaked me out when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. they definitely emphasize flames and fear of hell and damnation and separation from God forever and ever. Uh, and that spooked me when I was a kid, 9, 10. I had only been to Unitarian Church as a kid. Like, I did not have any preparation or defenses for this kind of mental onslaught. Sure. Plus, you were 10. When I was pretty young. When I was 12, I got into a situation up in the mountains where I came pretty close to dying, or at least that's the way I perceived it. Mm-hmm. I was in an unsafe place, and I, I almost fell. Uh, and my dad was there. I was, he was able to, I was able to grab his hand, and I got to safety. But that put me onto kind of a long, dark path where I felt, as a 12 
12-year-old kid, I suddenly came face-to-face with my own mortality. And I knew that I couldn't be a Christian. Like, I learned that. I figured that out when I lived with my grandparents at 10. Like, I just didn't believe in in Christ. I couldn't ask. I tried a couple different times to, to do the salvation prayer, and it just didn't. I just didn't believe. I would go outside and it was like a game and I would believe it for like an hour or two and then it would just fade away and I would go back to not believing. But somehow when I came close to falling as a, a couple years later, it that fear of death made me like not want to fade away because I knew that I would, I knew that I couldn't be a Christian and I knew that I would burn in hell and suffer. And so it was a weird thing as a 12 year old, my little 12 year old mind just trying to grapple with all this. And I used to, I was per- convinced, I was absolutely persuaded that there was no way that I was completely completely irredeemable. I could never be saved. And I used to have nightmares where I'd be like in hell. uh, And I had a, remember having nightmares of like just Jesus, just like staring at me, like with a look of pure hatred on his face. So the idea of like believing in God meant that I was worthless and that I was going, I was doomed to suffer. So as a kind of a teenager, as a teenager, I was able to sort of outgrow the fear of death a little bit. And I, I stopped believing in God because I came to understand that it was okay to be an atheist, that whether whether God was real or not, I couldn't have any control one way or the other. And I just had to believe in what I truly believed in. And I had to maintain integrity to my own, what was what was true for me, like on the inside, that, that stuff that's really hard to articulate. I can't really tell you why I'm not an atheist or why I'm not a believer, but no matter which direction I'm thinking about, no matter how I'm coming at it, it always comes out with the same solution. Like I don't believe. So for me, giving up a belief in God, gave me a lot more hope. Like it, it provided me with hope. Like you asked the question, do things get better over time? That was one of your hypotheticals. Yeah. Like, do we believe that the future will get better? I, I have no idea. I'm sure it will be better in some ways and worse in other ways. And on balance, is it going to be better? Who knows? But I think the ability to be honest with who you really are is something that gives me hope because it's a choice. You can choose to hide behind a a mask that someone else put on your face. You can live a life that someone else chose for you, or you can choose for yourself. And that's what gives me hope. Okay. What about you, Chauncey? Anything to add to that or any ideas of... So, a lot of religious people believe that hope and faith are kind of the same. I see them as different. I don't know. Do you see them as different? And do you have hope? I definitely have hope. It's a term that I use probably considerably more than than faith. Yeah, I hardly ever use the term faith. Yeah, me too. I think hope is probably a pretty strong motivation for me, I'd guess. The the idea, the possibility that things will get better Mm -hmm. is maybe something that I hope for, not something that I feel is guaranteed for sure, but Mm -hmm. maybe something that I can strive for. Uh, and that's kind of important to to me as a just as a human. So without a deity to direct that mm-hmm. the, the the path of maybe the planet or humanity, however you want to say it, to a better place, where do you put the hope? Where where does that hope come from? I think there's kind of historical precedent, at least in the United States, for having that hope. We've come a long way in the last 250 or whatever years, mm-hmm. and I think there is I think there are signs that we can continue to progress. I don't, as I said, I think it's inevitable. I think it does take hard work. It takes people changing their mindset. It takes new norms. But I think that life for many folks has gotten better over over time. I think people are generally more tolerant of those around them. And I'm going to say on average, not necessarily over the last couple of years. I think that the overall trajectory and trend has been a positive one. There are some signs that that could backslide. It seems like the, the number of years people are living is slated to decrease. I think we might be one of the first generations in many years that will probably not live as long as our parents or something like that. I think I remember seeing a stat like that. Yeah, I don't know that our life expectancy will increase. Yeah. Yeah. Our generation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Suicide and the opium crisis. That's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. And so that goes back to, you know, the sort of average trends being encouraging and being a source of hope, but also, you know, it's something you got to work toward. And I, I guess I'm kind of questioning right now what it has been that has compelled us forward in that regard. And if we still have that or if we've been losing it over time, I imagine there are religious folks who would suggest that our secularization has caused some of this. I don't think that's really the case, but I could understand how maybe our polarization has um, or could be problematic or our lack of common sort of shared values could be problematic. I don't think those things, I don't think shared values are unique to religions or faith or the supernatural, but I think that, um, that there may be some, some things that I guess make hope more difficult. 
Yeah, yeah, it is possible to backslide. That's for sure. And we see that all over the all over the world in a lot of places. Um, yeah, I would just add to that that my hope comes from an understanding of reality and the scientific method and, and science. I, I base a lot of my worldview on what we've come to know through science and the scientific method, and that gives me hope because if you look at the history of what we've come to know, we have tackled things like virology and immunology. Immunology? I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word. But anyway, we've learned, for instance, how to vaccinate ourselves. And we've learned how to make our uh, automobiles safer and how to decrease infant death mortality rates and stuff like that. So more children are living and less mothers are dying giving birth. And so the quality of life has just gotten better. And I think that that was probably quite stagnant before medical science uh, really hit it off. Uh, And we learned about things like using soap and disinfectants and sterilization processes and stuff like that. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Because, like, I like soap and I like the fact that my doctor washes his hands, you know, sure. or whatever. But what about you, like, personally? Like, the fact that medical science is saving people's lives or, you know, lot, millions of people who would otherwise die of diarrhea are alive and thriving because they... Thanks to, have, like, Pepto-Bismol and stuff. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Uh, just just good, clean sanitation and all the basic stuff, you know? Sure. Well, diarrhea, all I meant was is diarrhea isn't something we normally worry about dying from anymore, at least not anymore. in the first world. Yeah, not yeah. here. Thanks uh, to... At least around here, yeah. Yeah. So, But it still kills in lots of other places. So, but Certainly. what about you personally, like if you're feeling down or if you're suffering a loss or how do you personally take comfort from your belief in science? Um, well, comfort's actually one of the topics that we have, but sticking to hope, let's say I'm depressed for some reason, um, the only hope I have really is our understanding, our medical understanding of what depression is, what causes it and how to get out of it. So behavioral psychologists talk about more exercise, uh, better sex life. They talk about drugs, the use of different antidepressant drugs and sort of introspection, talk therapy. So to me, the hope is, is the science itself. That's what gets us to a better place as far as I can tell in my worldview. I don't see a lot of hope outside of uh, science and then a better understanding of evidence in the world around us. And the way to get to that is through the scientific method. So, you know, for instance, um, I would have died uh, of an appendicitis had science not figured out how to take it out liposcopically, which it's, it's not even like they cut me open and took it out. They took it out liposcopically. So I bar- you can barely tell that I ever had anything is in my body. Is that where they like puff you up with air? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they stick a little... They have tiny slender thing little probes and cameras and they cut it out and then they pull it out and they put like three different holes in you and one just blows air into you. <laughs> you puff up. And it's weird too because you get gassy. You wouldn't think that you'd get like the kind of gas that you get like when you eat, I don't know what, too much garlic or whatever. Your body's got to get rid of that or roughage. puffed up somehow. But yeah, you like they puff up your stomach and then you're all gassy for like a week after that which is kind of weird but thank, anyway thank you medicine but it's better yeah. it's better than getting cut, i guess it's got to come open. out somehow it's better than getting cut open and much it, better yeah and which is was an earlier improvement from just dying Hor- a horrendous painful death huge improvement uh, yeah i was learning how to do surgeries so I guess that's the that's the idea that I'm trying to get across is this this hope that I have for the future, the hope that I have for the future of humanity or the future of our understanding or that we can even come to uh, a place of understanding with one another, especially if we have different goals or, or worldviews like the different religions or the different, you know, political left versus right, stuff like that, mm-hmm. the different sides of the spectrums right. is our understanding of reality and evidence. And the only way to get to that is, or at least so far, is through the scientific method at least that's the most reliable way otherwise it's just shooting you know it's just bobbing for apples you don't know if you're going to come up with a good one or a bad one or if you're going to get anything at all so right just someone's opinion from authority yeah or revelation which who knows if that's real right i mean who knows if you can hang your head on that as far as i can tell the religious get things right on accident or they have a scientific method that they then back their way into the Bible. They say like, oh, well, if you, you know, they they had all these trials of you wash your dishes and you don't get as sick or you don't eat pork.
work and you don't get as sick. And so they had years and years and years of trials. And then they say, oh, God told us about it. But it's like, eh, I bet humanity figured that out and just wrote it into the Bible. Yeah. So if you eat bad... And gave God the credit. You know, people 10,000 years ago ate some pork that was really bad and they all got, yeah. they got skin parasites. And, they, and then the people who survived were like, pork is really bad. Yeah. Better watch don't out for that. Don't eat the pork. Yeah. 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 And then they wrote that into the Bible as opposed to being... It wasn't revealed, I don't think. I think they just claimed that it was. So to answer the question, do atheists hope? It sounds like we do. I, I definitely do about things. Okay. So so the question of faith, do we have faith? Well, it sort of depends on how you define it, it sounds like. Um, and then do we have hope? Yes, we do. Just it sounds like in sort of different things. So number three, the feeling of an overwhelming love, or maybe some people would say God is love, um, or a oneness with everything or part of a greater good. Um, without God, do we ever have feelings like this? And if so, how do we attribute those feelings? What, to what do we attribute those feelings? I can answer it really easy. Two, sure. two, two ways. I feel a greater sense of connection when I'm with others, hmm. and I feel a great sense of connection when I'm out in nature, usually totally by myself. Oh, okay. So when I'm with others, sometimes it can be kind of a mundane interaction, like at work or at the grocery store, and that like usually, this. Yeah, no, this <laughs> is a, this is a, this is a step up from that because a lot of a lot of interactions are kind of boring. But then there's times where you're with people that you you enjoy their company, you feel close to. And then there's there are other levels above that. Sometimes when you're creating something with someone or when you're loving someone or when you you find a, a real kinship with a complete stranger sometimes in a really unique situation. Sometimes you can feel really connected or you can feel connected to a whole group. I've had just uh, those sort of perfect moments uh, working Pride Fest just with complete strangers, that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's times where I felt really good. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a way that I feel connected is with others. And then sometimes I go out and I get as remote into the Rockies as far as I can go. Or sometimes when I'm out on water, like out on a lake uh, or the last time I visited the ocean and just floating peacefully, like looking up at the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an amazing feeling of connection with, you know, that's I think those moments of when I felt the most when I felt the most peace as an atheist, because I know that my body will pass away. My life will end but this greater and you know outside cosmos will go on mm-hmm. no matter what yeah that's good what do you think Chauncey do you have anything to add to that or do you want to pass on it in a pass okay well I kind of have a, uh, I have similar uh, feelings it, it occurred to me a while ago that it's possible that we have this sense of just overwhelming vastness or an overwhelming sense that we're a tiny part of a huge force or a huge thing or being because we're actually perceiving the universe. So when we look up at the sky, the night sky, or or even the day sky, but maybe less so during the day, we are actually experiencing space. We are witnessing it. We're watching it. We we feel its vastness, even though we might not comprehend exactly how big it is. And it occurred to me uh, that maybe that's where we get that feeling that we have this. You were talking about sort of like floating in the ocean or whatever, which is another gigantic, vast thing that makes me feel. I know when I hang out in the ocean, I even get a little nervous. Like, oh, there's a lot of space under me. I don't know what's under there. You know, like you start to feel, and then if you can just sort of release and let go, you do kind of feel like, oh wow, yeah, I'm just kind of rolling with the with the waves or the tide or whatever, and then something touches your leg and you're like, ah! you know, you freak out, but then you kind of calm down again. That's and just you're like, oh yeah, okay, that was just kelp. I'll, I'll be okay, right? So I I totally get that feeling uh, that you're talking about, and I've also gotten it through just going through the mountains. I used to do a lot of 14ers, so I mean, you climb and climb and climb and climb. It takes hours and hours. You get exhausted. There's not a lot of oxygen. You get to your goal. You get that rush of endorphins where you're like, man, I just worked my ass off and now I'm here. I'm at the summit. You're enjoying, you're taking in the beauty of the front range or whatever range you happen to be in. Yeah. It's it looks, nice to, you know, because it looks really different up there. You see something that not a lot of people see. Right. And yeah, yeah I love those kind of moments. Well, and it, you can't help but feel like a part of something bigger than yourself or you can't help but feel like a love, like an overwhelming sense of elation yeah. when you're when you've put yourself through those things to you know that kind of in, that kind of challenge to, to climb a mountain or something like that and you don't have to climb a mountain to get it i mean people experience it when they're chanting together people experience it when musicians when they're playing a piece yeah yeah especially in a group yeah definitely in a group uh, as a listener of music i've i've felt overwhelmed in a sense that you could describe as love so i don't think that the religious really have to fear losing that when they lose their faith in god or when they lose their belief in, in a deity. Because I think 
that is just ripe for the taking. That's like a human experience that we all have and that we can all partake in. Now, it'll depend on how, how you seek it, right? If you're not going to church every week and you're not trying to have that feeling every week, you might not feel it every week. Yeah. But if you're doing activities that you can reliably get that kind of feeling from, then it's much more common. It is tricky, I think, in terms of being part of a religious congregation and then leaving it, because I did that with Scientology as well. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging and difficult because you can't rely on any of those old answers that you used to. And you can't ask the same people maybe who were authorities, people you looked up to in the past, you can't look to them anymore. It has to be something that you either have to find a new source to replace it or you have to come up with something from within and that can be a very challenging task. It can be frightening and it can it can be something that might seem hopeless. I know I've struggled with it, but for me, the journey to look for it, look for those, whether it's faith or comfort or joy or spirit or any of those sort of hard to define qualities that are often attributed in a, or, or are considered more routinely in a faith based context they they're it's i think it's accurate to say that all those things apply to me but mm-hmm. but not they're not held to with the narrow the narrow confines of a specific religion it's up to me to put my my own personal imprints on it or to talk to people i care about and find out how they do it or to ask them for help with something that i'm dealing with or to provide help when i'm able when i don't need help of my own mm-hmm. those are the kind of things that it, it, it's all the same question and it's the same sort of internal striving it's just a instead of relying on an answer given to you by a religion you have to come up with the answer on your own it's a t- it's tough in that way yeah well and i think to me it just the fe- this feeling of feeling like an overwhelming love or part of a greater good or whatever i think this is just one of the human experiences this is just something that humans experience so whether you go to church and you get into kind of a frothy revival of speaking in tongues and, and being saved or whatever or being cured of a disease like they claim to do do at churches, or whether you're doing it uh, with a group of friends around a campfire singing songs, or whether you're, uh, you know, hugging a loved one, or whatever the situation, I feel like this is just part of the human experience and not in any way unique to religious experience. Although, I do recognize that the religious have this experience, and it is an enviable experience. It's it's an experience that I want to have, and I can reliably have, though, because I understand how it happens for me. Okay, I gotcha yeah i thought you meant specifically like the church experience what like sunday assembly is something that atheists do to try and sort of in a secular manner like synthesize that yeah have that some kind, of kind of ritual yeah. if, if that's your thing go for it you know it's a free society no that that's not what i'm talking about i'm saying uh I can reliably have that feeling, for instance, when I climb 14ers, that that happens. I mean, you just get overwhelmed and flooded with a sense of like oneness and just grandeur and, yeah. and you feel love and elation. You know, when I when I climb a trail, I think about people who have the, the feet who have carried people up that trail in the past and the feet that will carry others behind me. And I'm part of that continuum. Kind of a weird foot fetish. Well, I have a brain fetish, too, because <laughs> when you learn something, it gives you an immediate connection with the, the the, the creator of that idea. Like, mm, let's yeah. say you're, if you're a math person, you learn the, the formulae of someone from thousands of years ago and think exactly as they they did. And people thousands of years from now will learn that same that same facts. And that's another thing like that. When you're perplexed by something and you learn it, and it fi- your brain finally wraps around it, your mind encompasses it, and you you have that flash of understanding. That's another thing that I don't think that's divine. I think that's human. That's a very human thing. Yeah, I agree. That's a great transition, by the way, into our fourth and final topic, which is comfort. So I've heard a lot of religious people say that their religion uh, brings them comfort, uh, that believing, for instance, in life after death uh, brings them a lot of comfort, or that just having a loving father figure type person, a God, uh, an all-loving, all-knowing deity that watches over them gives them comfort. Sure. Um, It's not creepy at all. Yeah. I've also... (laughs) Yeah, that's where I fall to. I've also heard people say that um, without religion and without their belief in an afterlife, for instance, that that they would view they would view life as meaningless, or or that there would be some I don't know exactly why, but that there would be it would somehow change their life in, in a hugely negative way. And and since I attribute
attribute most of this belief to comfort based on what I've heard. I'm assuming that that's part of it. So before I lose my train of thought, though, because you just mentioned something, Jesse, that I wanted to touch on. I have other things to say about it, but uh, it brings me great comfort to know that as time progresses, civilizations may rise and fall. And the things to be that will keep coming up are things like math. Those will not die, right? Because if people continue to be inquisitive and to look for the answers to things, they're going to rediscover math and the math is going to be the same each time, right? But if they come up with a new religion, as we've seen over the millennia, it's always going to be different. There's never going to be a religion that mimics exactly the one, the predecessor, its predecessor. Yeah, I guess. Like, I think it's a, they all steal from each other constantly. No, I'm not talking about that though. I'm saying it, it comforts me that the knowledge that we, that we as atheists, or at least me from a scientific worldview, look at, and it, as you were talking about yours being a humanist, those answers are still going to be the same all you. throughout time. Yeah. And no matter how many times we lose sight of, let's say, mathematics due to some horrible thing, uh, it's always going to be rediscovered exactly the way that it was. And you're never going to rediscover sure. a religion exactly the same way because people make it up as they go along. I like that, it. A that brings me a lot of comfort. A squared plus B squared is always going to equal C squared. Exactly. Whether you're speaking Greek or medieval Roman or medieval Latin or, yeah. or English or Farsi or whatever. Yeah, and whether it's... It doesn't matter who you worship. You're one or you're a million, it's always going to be the same. And right. so that brings me a lot of comfort that the things that I base my worldview on, I don't want to say are universal truths, but are truths that will withstand the test of time. But back to our round table here. So if you don't believe in life after death, and I'm assuming that you don't, um, nope. and you too, Chauncey, um, where do you find where, what's comforting to you? How do you get comfort in your life if you don't believe that there's an all-knowing, all-loving father figure that watches over you? Well, it's something that used to bother me. I used When I was a teenager, sort of going through that process of giving up faith or giving up the belief in a God or magic or higher power or anything, it was it was really difficult for a while. I won't deny it. I guess for me, it was just a process of exploring it and trying to think about it from every different way, to every different angle that I could. And eventually coming to have this sort of self-confidence to say what I really believe. And there doesn't, I don't need to justify it or explain it. It doesn't even need to make sense. It's what I believe. It just so happens to work out that there are a lot of good ways to explain how my, my worldview works out. But fundamentally, I just, I'm just more honest about who I really am. And just makes everything easier. So that provides you with comfort. Yeah, I mean, it's. I would rather face reality the way it is rather than just believe something or be part of a group because it provides benefits, or even if they're just like psychological ones to help me get through, or the support of a community where we all perform the same rituals and worship the same God. Like I'd rather be on my own and have it be accurate because the nice thing is you're not on your own. There are lots of other non-believers out there. It's, it's really common. Mm -hmm. That's what gives me comfort is there are people you can get help. You're not alone. Like we're all in this shit together. Mm -hmm. What about you, Chauncey? Anything to add to that or you want to do another pass? You yeah. want to do another pass? You have to say it out loud. Okay. <laughs> pass. <laughs> It's fine. So, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I think our worldviews are just so different, Jesse. It's funny. I I, uh, I actually see that it, it gives me a lot of comfort for one. Not, I didn't have a lot of problems with giving up a deity, uh, this like all-knowing, all-watching sort of celestial dictator type person who's supposedly a loving father, but can condemn me to hell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't really have a hard time giving up that. That didn't comfort me. In fact, that that was more creepy, like you were saying earlier, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that I had a hard time giving up uh, when I transitioned out of my religious belief was this idea of hell. And I was just worried that there was going to be some kind of punishment yeah, for, for sure. me. Yeah. And I didn't want there to be uh, because it didn't seem like I had done anything wrong. And so, I, I never really saw God as a comfort. Um, and I certainly don't find life after death to be comforting either, especially because this life seems like it, this life after death, I mean, seems like it would consist either of some derivative of actually who I am that would be in heaven, I guess, worshiping all the time and not caring about all the people that I suspect I know in hell, right? like potential good friends of mine and so on. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like me. I don't think I'd be comfortable in heaven <clears throat> if I knew that my friends were in hell. So, it must not be me that goes to heaven. It must be some derivative of me or some, some other being that's well, not me. when you see God, your mind will be so blown that you'll, you'll just get it and you'll be with it. You'll be down with it. Right. I 
just don't see that as being good. Sure. It's problematic. Yeah. Sure. The other thing is, is I was worried about going to hell and I didn't, so I just didn't find a lot of comfort there because I, I suspected I would go to hell yeah. based on not being terribly convinced about God and always being kind of questioning and not understanding the Holy Spirit at all. And yes. that's a bunch of bullshit. Just like know? I was describing earlier, like I knew I was irredeemable. So if there is a heaven and hell, I'm definitely going to hell. It's yeah. like, it sucks. Yeah. And I just was never able to fool myself into thinking that I would definitely go to heaven. And like I said, even if I did, I don't know that that would be good. I, the, there isn't any version well, of this afterlife that sounds comforting to me. You mentioned I'm either going to be torturing myself due to the, the pain I feel over my, the empathy I have over my friends that are suffering in hell, or I'm going to hell, which would be probably bad, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Mm-hmm. And and it, it is kind of a, a real dirty trick to put that thought into a kid's head because it's so hard to shake it. Like even, I think that's pretty common. It's something I've heard of where people will say, I gave up the belief in God, but I was still really worried about hell. And I would, late at night when I couldn't fall asleep, I think about hell. And <laughs> yeah. Did I make the right choice? Am I going to pay and suffer eternally because I made the wrong choice? Like that's a, that's a pretty dirty trick that the, the religions play. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I, I will say that the fear of hell was pretty short-lived because when I started to consider what kind of God would put you in hell, it became just clear to me that there wasn't a God or well, that my belief in God just sort of dissipated. And once you don't believe in God, then there's really no yeah. fear for some, of hell, for some at least pe- not for me. For some people, it doesn't last much longer. So, No, yeah. I've, Folks, if yeah. you're out there still afraid of hell, stick with it. You'll get over it. <laughs> we all did. Chauncey, did you ever really fear, like really fear burning, suffering? I didn't. No, I... Yeah. Uh, I started identifying as an agnostic when I was about 12 years old, and I can't say I really internalized a belief in God prior to that. You lucky bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, cool. (laughs) Yeah, so... The other thing, too, about this is, um, you know, I find a lot of comfort in knowing that I'm doing everything I can now to make the world better for when I'm gone. Like, I know I'm going to die and then I'll be forgotten. I'm not one of those people that's going to be known. You know, I'm not an Einstein or a Carl Sagan or, or, or even a, you know, whatever, Pope, whatever. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people that really touched a lot of other people's lives or, or really made an impact socially. And so I know that I'll be gone and forgotten. And all I can really take comfort in is that I did everything I could while I was here to make it as good as possible for those that are going to follow. Yeah, I agree. I'm not changing the world. I'm not um, I don't I don't think the world's going to be that much better because I'm here. But while I'm here, I try to help. I volunteer. And I volunteer with animals and I volunteer a lot with my friends as much as I can. Now I have to start working again. So I'm going to have less time to volunteer. But I still try to help people and reach out and touch sometimes physically, but connect with people. And especially when people are going through hard times, it's really easy just to reach out and say, hey, I'm here for you. And sometimes that's, that's all it takes to make things a little better. Or to be there when somebody's trying to make something happen, like go to their stuff, participate in the things they do and like be there for people yeah and i think too a lot about like my my footprint like my carbon footprint and how much i use as opposed to how much i try to uh, conserve stuff like that so there I, I try to be as mindful as i can because that gives me comfort knowing that maybe maybe i bought the future a day or two when i go up into the mountains i pick up trash and put it with my trash that i backpack out yeah shit like that yeah, yeah it's stuff like that 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 gives me comfort there's also to me this kind of comfort the comfort of life after death, for instance, is such a false comfort. It, to me, it's it, I find more comfort in the warm embrace of somebody that I care about or getting under the covers when I'm not feeling well. Like if I'm sick, I get the warmth of the blanket or something like that. Or, you know, like walking my dog and seeing my dog look at me like, oh man, you're just the shit. I love you. You know what I mean? Like that gives me more comfort than than sort of the fake comfort. I never really got much comfort from a deity or from an idea that I was going to live on. So, yeah, it was, it was never anything you had to give up. Well, I did have a moment. I did have a time when I, when there was like a, a weight off my shoulders, but that was in kind of like Chauncey. It was in my early years. It wasn't, uh, although it didn't sound like you had one, Chauncey. I, I, I definitely had a moment where I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so, for me, it was more comforting to get rid of the belief than it was to have it. And, uh, I mean, I find comfort now, like I said, in, in more human things, human interactions or physical interactions. Okay. Well, I think Chauncey keeps staring out the window because he wants to go take comfort in riding a skateboard. So there we have our answers to those tough questions that most people look to religion to actually answer. 
And I want to highlight here specifically Jesse's answer to the comfort question and how just enlightening it was. This really was one of his finest hours in our podcasting together. I remember this podcast very clearly. We had Jesse, we had Chauncey. This was very early in our podcasting together. And so we were still finding a rhythm. You know, Chauncey even passed on a question because he wasn't feeling like he had a rhythm established yet in a podcast. Um, he, he did gather much more steam as we went on, and especially in the Flat Earth series that we did uh, that was published in this season. But listen to Jesse's response. Go back and listen to his response to the where do you find comfort question and and just revel in how perfectly stated it was. Um, to Jesse, you don't need to have comfort. What you need is to be an adult. You can go out into the world unshielded, scantily clad, if you like, without any celestial father watching you, without anybody, you know, quote, helping you, unquote, or quote, looking out for you, unquote. And, and that's a real advantage to those that feel like they need some sort of blanket, security blanket. And, and I really commend Jesse for that. In re-listening to this podcast, it's been a while since we shot this footage, since we recorded this audio. You know, I had forgotten how well-spoken he could be at times. And I've expressed my dissatisfaction with his contribution to previous shows, for sure. And, you know, Jesse and I don't necessarily get along all the time, and that's fine. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesse is an adult, and he demonstrates that right here. He's a, a confident man out in the world dealing with reality on reality's terms. And the comfort that he finds is knowing that he has the tools that he needs to deal with them successfully. He has a grasp of reality that's accurate. And he attained that grasp through science, the scientific method, humanism, skepticism, and the other tenets that he holds to. The same tenets that I hold to, by the way. So I just wanted to say that before I say anything else about what we talked about. I really want to give him uh, respect and admiration for that answer because it really was the perfect answer. I can't think of anything more satisfying than the recognition in yourself that you're an adult and your understanding of the world is as good of an understanding as there can be. And you're not deluding yourself anymore in the comforts of Yahweh or anything. In Jesse's case, it would have been Yahweh, Jesus, or Scientology. He bounced around a bit. Mine was just Yahweh and Jesus. So maybe, hopefully, one day, people like John Stewart will grow up enough to just be in reality on reality's terms and understand that humanity and the sciences that humanity has invented are enough to provide the security and comfort that we need to move confidently forward into this, you know, crazy unknown. You know, finding comfort in the moment, as I as I mentioned in, in my my answer to that question, is, is much more about having loving people around you, building a place where you can feel comfortable, right? And I have just an immense amount of empathy for those that aren't able to do that. Either they don't have the security, the, you know, financial security or the food security or whatever to even be comfortable. And so that's really the key, right? Is it's possible that John Stewart was talking about that kind of comfort. So in lieu of having the things that you actually need, you can find comfort in God. But what does that end up doing? That ends up allowing the religious to slang God instead of housing, clothing, and feeding people, the things that actually provide comfort. Now that's another path down the road of dishonesty, one that I think we should all try to avoid. Again, I want to commend Jesse. He has the best answer of the night. And I would like for people like Jon Stewart to grow up, slough off this ridiculous cloak of religion. Free your mind from this horrible dictator who you claim lives in the sky. <laughs> and let's work together to provide comfort for one another. Thank you so much for listening to Ear Seduction. Ah!